I love that we as a congregation, as is our normal habit, we are working right now through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, week by week. We don't skip it. We love it. We're in it. I'm enjoying it very, very much. Today we will be in Luke chapter 8, verse 4 and following, which means if, that you, if you have been paying attention, if you're astute, we just skipped three verses. We skipped the first three verses of chapter 3. Now, if you go and you look at those, you will discover that they are all about women and women's impact and participation in the ministry of Christ. How dare you? Why do you hate women? No, that's not it. That's not where we're going. Actually, uh, we think those verses will go really well with next week, and so we're going to bring those with the verses after this week and put those together talk about those next week. Actually, I'm kind of jealous because Pastor Jared drew the card on that one, and so he'll be, and I'm jealous because he gets to deal with those. So we're going to skip those for now, and we'll pick it up in Luke chapter 8 and verse 4. And I want to dive right in. We have a lot of scripture in front of us today because Jesus is going to give us a parable, explain the parable, and then talk about why he talks in parables. So we have a lot in front of us. Let's start out in chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Notice Jesus equates soil with heart there. In an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. All right, that's enough scripture. I hope you, that was a lot of scripture. I hope you hung with me, because toward the end of this sermon, I'm going to smack you down if you don't pay attention during sermons. So that's coming, I'll just warn you. But what's going on, if you notice at the very beginning of this, is there's this huge crowd, people from town after town after town. They're flocking to Jesus, and Jesus decides in that moment that he will thin the herd. And what he's going to do is turn up the heat by using this parable, and in general by using parables. And we're going to talk about both of those, parable, the specific parable, and parables. 
And in both cases, what we will find is that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's all about the heart. And so it is in this parable. By the way, speaking of this parable, if you have your Bible in front of you, maybe you have it on your phone, look at it right now. And what you might see is a heading over this parable. And in some of your Bibles, it might say the parable of the sower. That's wrong. Listen, those headings are not Bible. That's not the inspired word of God. God didn't speak that. Those were inserted by men after the fact. And sometimes they're helpful, and sometimes they get it wrong. In this case, it is not about the sower. The sower is the same, and the emphasis isn't there. It's all on the different soils. This is the parable of the four soils. So what I want you to do is I want you to take out your pen, and I want you to go. I'm not kidding. You cross that. I don't care if you're on your iPhone. You scribe hard, okay? Like, you mark that thing out, all right? That's wrong. It's the parable of the four soils. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now, to understand it, you need to understand a little bit about ancient agricultural and how they did this. They did broadcast sowing. They just take that seed and they throw it all over the place. And you'll see it fell on various places. It fell on the path and the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil. This is like Oprah sowing, right? You get seed and you get seed. And you, everybody gets seed. It goes all over the place, right? And so now the seed is all over on various soils. And Jesus talks us through those soils. The first one he talks about is the path. What happens there is that year after year, it has just been pounded and hardened, and that is a hardened soil. So when the seed goes there, it doesn't penetrate down into the soil. It stays on top, and it gets trampled underfoot, and the birds in the air swoop down and snatch that seed. I've experienced something like this in my backyard. At one point, we had our backyard regraded. It wasn't draining right, so we had to regrade it, and then they had to reseed. You know grass seed's expensive? That's pricey stuff, right? And so they see and they leave. And as soon as they leave, like every bird in the neighborhood found my backyard. Phew, they're right down there, right? I'm running out there like a crazy man, scared like the neighbors are laughing at me, right? And, and so I scare the birds off and I walk back in my house. As soon as I shut the door, you know what happens, right? Phew, right back on there. So I'm running. This is why the scarecrows, scarecrows exist. I don't have a scarecrow. I got a dog. Now, Taco will chase squirrels and, and bunnies and cats. She don't do birds, right? I mean, I'm trying to get her. She never catches anything, but at least can you scare the bird? No, she won't do a thing. She's worthless. Earn your keep, dog. So she doesn't scare them off. So these birds are just plucking the seed away, and this is what's happening on that path. What's going on? Jesus transitioned. This is like people. Some people are so hardened that the word of God cannot penetrate into their hearts. They never receive it. And then Satan, like a bird, swoops down and snatches that seed and takes it away. And that's what some people are like. Some in this room. The second soil, just to the right there, you see the rocks. Now, Jesus said some of the seed is sown among rocks. Now, who the heck sows seed on rocks? That's stupid, right? Who would do that? Well, understand the way they did farming back then is they would sow first, plow later. We reverse that. We plow first, then sow. They would sow and then plow. What would happen then is you would have some that looks like good soil, but it's actually only a very thin layer of topsoil. Underneath it was all limestone. And then they'd sow and then they'd plow and go, oh, dang it, look at all those rocks. So now you have seeds sown among rocks. And the plants would grow. In, there's enough soil, they'd start to grow. But unfortunately, there's too much rocks, and so they would not grow healthy. There's no deep roots. There's no strong, firm foundation. 
And what happens is when the drought comes, there's, there's not enough moisture in that soil, not enough roots. They can't draw nutrients and water, no moisture. And so the plant withers and dies. Jesus says this is like some people. They receive the word of, word of God with great joy and with enthusiasm and with emotionalism. Not just emotion, but with emotionalism. They get all jacked up and they're all excited. But there's no solid, firm, foundational relationship with God. They've dabbled in religion. There's no relationship with God. So when the hard times come, and they do, don't they? The heat comes. They can't draw nutrients from God himself. Because sometimes that's all you have. Like the time is so hard. The drought is so bad. The only thing you can do is sink your roots into Jesus and draw strength from him. But these people can't do this. Sometimes God is all you got, but for them, what they're saying is, listen, when I signed up for this Jesus program, I signed up for heaven on earth. And that's not what I got. I, I got a savior, but I'm still in a fallen world. In fact, I'm called to follow a suffering savior. And this dude keeps bringing me in and through suffering. Now he's right there with me, but who cares? So what? It's still tough and I'm out. And they throw in the towel. They can't last that. Now, much ink has been spilled, by the way, on whether the soil with rocks and thorns, if they are Christians or not. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, nobody knows for sure. We'll talk about parables more in a bit. One of the things you got to know is with parables, they make big points, not small points, right? So you can't press them for the details too hard. So we're really not sure. Personally, I don't think the rocky soil is a Christian. There's no root. There's no fruit and they don't last. I suspect this is a person who can point back to a point in time when they received Christ. But they do not have the ability to walk with Jesus. So there's no evidence of conversion and regeneration and restoration. There's no fruit evidence in their life. There's no deep love for Jesus, no walking with Jesus, no worship of Jesus. Probably not a Christian. Oh, that's the rocks. And so then some of the thorns goes to the, uh, the seed goes to the third soil, which is the thorns. And here the, the seed goes in and the plant is starting to grow up, but it is surrounded by other weeds and thorns that kind of choke it. They steal nutrients from the soil so there's not enough for the good crop. And you understand, this farmer's not a botanist. He doesn't just like plants and good. No, he's looking for crop, right? For fruit to come out of that. So this, this is a broken plan. This is not working well. Not only is, are those thorns stealing nutrients from the soil, but some of those weeds could grow up to six feet tall, which means now they're blocking the sunlight from getting to the crop plant. They're blocking the light. And so they're choking this fruit from the plant. There is no fruit. And Jesus transitions then and says, okay, this is like some people whose hearts, it's all about worldliness. Jesus talked about cares and riches and pleasures of life. So sometimes these thorns are sin. Sin, yeah, okay, that's thorn, I get that. But sometimes it's something that's not bad in and of itself, but it has become a thorn in our life. It is worldliness. That can be things like keeping up with the Joneses. Got to have a bigger, nicer house. Got to have a nicer car. And I got to make sure that my kids have at least as nice of stuff as anyone else's kids. Who told you that? No one. You just assume that. Keeping up with the Joneses sometimes live through your kids. That, that can be it. It can be success, reputation. Jesus said in their riches, it can be wealth. 
What's interesting is you, you go in your wallet, not mine because there's not cash in there, but you go in your wallet and, and you pull out a dollar bill and it says on there, in God we trust. What a lie. Because for Americans, the one thing we tend to trust in other than God is our money. And we think if we slap in God we trust on it, somehow that fixes it. It doesn't. And this is just worldliness. These are thorns in our life. We're trusting in money. And then there's hobbies, the pleasures of life. So what we have is we have God. We have eternity staring us in the face. We have the gospel. We have the kingdom of God. And in light of that, some of your lives are controlled by a little white ball. Listen, ladies, you have hobbies too, okay? So (laughs) there's plenty to go around. Like, I don't know what the white ball is in your life, but there's some hobby. And sometimes that is a thorn that is growing up and it is choking your life. It is strangling the spiritual life, preventing fruitfulness. Now, how do you know if some of these things are thorns that are actually choking you or if they're just things in the world? I'll give you two tests. Number one, do you own it or does it own you? Do you own your money or does your money own you? And sometimes we're talking about things that you can't do do without, you can't live without, then it owns you. You don't own it. And the second test is this. Are you stuck in the tyranny of the urgent? You run from one thing to another to another to another, and that's what life is about because you're just trying to keep up. And there's no time to slow down and to grow spiritually. The The thorns have choked you out. It choked the spiritual health out of your life. How? Why? Because they, they have grown up and they are blocking the light. The light of God's truth in His Word is not getting down to you. They are blocking it. And the result is that there's no fruitfulness in your life. And some of you are totally okay with that. It's interesting. Some folks are like, you know what, listen, if I can get a little bit of Jesus and a lot of the world, double bonus. I'm good with that. And for some of you, your goal, your plan, is you want to be a Christianized version of your non-Christian but successful neighbor. That's your goal. That's your plan. That means there won't be really any spiritual fruit in your life. But you say, so what? I get Jesus and the world. And you're okay that there's no fruit. And you're saying, who cares? And the answer is, Jesus cares. Jesus absolutely cares. That's not a good plan. And if that's your plan, I'll tell you what, you better be miserable. Because what happens is when you actually come to faith, if you came to faith, that's a big if, if you came to faith, then the Holy Spirit goes in your life. And when you're wrestling with worldliness, these two are just tearing you up inside. And if it's not tearing you up inside, that's because there's no Holy Spirit in there. You only have the world. And that's a bigger problem. That's a bigger problem. So that, that's the thorns. It's not a good plan. And of course, what Jesus wants for all of us is ultimately to be to the far right there. You see those crops. He wants good soil. This is where there are deep roots. There are nutrients. Nothing is choking it off. There is a mature plant. Now, it takes time. Did you notice in the passage, it says with patience? It takes a full growing season. It takes a long. This doesn't happen overnight. Got to keep at it. But over time, there is fruitfulness. Hundredfold, Jesus said. Back in that time, a tenfold yield was like a great crop. Good job. This is 100-fold, which means this represents the unique blessing of God on your life, producing fruit that you could have never produced. He did that. He did that. Now, one of the things I don't want you to misunderstand, <clears throat> in the good soil, 
there could be rocks and thorns. They just don't control the soil, right? Listen, if you will, how the old scholar Matthew Henry addressed this passage. He said, that which distinguished this good ground from the rest was in one word, fruitfulness. He does not say that this good ground has no stones in it or no thorns, but there were none that prevailed to hinder its fruitfulness. Instead, what you have is a picture of a believer who year after year is weeding out the weeds and pulling out the rocks, cultivating that soil so it is more and more fertile, there's more and more growth, there's more and more fruit. So, so that means this doesn't happen overnight. It is progressive growth, pro- progressive sanctification. But we should start to see evidence of conversion and regeneration and growth in your life. This is not just fire insurance, right? Like I buy a little bit of Jesus so that I get out of hell someday. No, this is God present and changing you now. That's the good soil. And it ought to lead to what we talk about here at Redemption. No, grow, go. You know Jesus Christ personally, you grow in relationship with him, and you go advance his kingdom. Now those last two of grow and go, those, that sums up some fruit. Like one of the questions that comes up in those passages, the fruit that God's looking to develop in your life, is that fruit growth or kingdom impact? Right? So we, we have in the Bible the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, on and on. Right? Is that the fruit that God's developing as you grow within you? Or is the fruit that you are multiplying the kingdom into other people? You're bringing people to Jesus and you're helping them grow in Jesus. Is it growth or is it impact? And the answer is yes. Yep. Absolutely both. We don't want just grow. We want grow and go. We want both. That is the good soil. No, grow, go. All of them. And so you have a believer that is solid and stable and loving Jesus and worshiping him and walking with him. And is that what you want? Let me warn you of something. That means you'll be a Jesus freak. Some of you just pulled back. Why? Why? That is the good soil there. And that's what I want for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. But I'll tell you what. Jesus looks out at this crowd and he realizes in that moment that he has four soils right there. And so he decides to thin the herd. You know why? Because Jesus knows he doesn't need all the soil to produce. He just needs the good soil. You notice not even Jesus bats a thousand. He's okay with some to fall away because he's looking for the good soil because it produces a hundredfold. It goes crazy. And that's how the gospel of the kingdom of God went around the world because of good soil. That's what he's after. So in light of all that, the obvious question is, of course, which soil are you? Are you the first one that's hardened? It's the path. You've stiff-armed Jesus. You've rejected the word of God. You've never really received it. Or, or secondly, are you shallow? This is the rocks, right? You point back to some point in your life where you came forward, got baptized, said a prayer, raised your hand, whatever. But you, you don't really have a, an ongoing dynamic relationship with Jesus such that when the drought comes, when the heat comes, you're done. I'm out. Is that you? Or are you third? Are you worldly? We look at you and your non-Christian neighbor, and it's really hard to tell the difference. Would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were on trial for being a Christian? Probably not. 
And so you are worldly and you are choked and blocked and fruitless. Or are you forth fruitful? This is the good soil. This is one who has received Jesus. Not just religion. He's laid down religion. And he is loving Jesus in relationship. Sunk roots into Jesus. Drawing nutrients from Jesus. Even when all you have is Jesus. Sticking by him. Weeding out the thorns and taking out the rocks. Cultivating your life over time. So that there is mature growth and then fruit. Fruitful. Here's what I want you to catch as you look at that list of four. All of those four are involved in the religion of Christianity. All of those four were in a crowd following Jesus. All those four are in this room right now, I bet. It's not the religion of Christianity that matters. There's only one on that list that was in a dynamic, life-changing relationship with the one true God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, what I want for you. What we tend to do, though, is we blame God, right? Like, the reason I'm in one, two, or three, what would move into four, if God would only, if God would just, listen, it's not the parable of the sower. The sower was the same. The seed was the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word never changes. He was speaking then. He is speaking now. That doesn't change. It's all about your heart. It's all about your response. Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That's what it's all about. That's how we can understand that parable. Now listen, that's just that one parable. But it brings up the question, hey, Jesus, why, why do you teach like this? Why do you teach in parables? And the disciples asked him that question, right? And so I want to go back to the parable. We're going to dial back a little bit to a few verses that I read already. Look at this in Luke chapter 8, verse 8. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You'll notice if you go back a slide there, uh, at the end it says, uh, seeing they may not see. So you see that, that uh, he is quoting at that point. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And these verses I just read to you were before he explained the parable. And then after he explained it, he went on and he said this. Listen, he says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Is Jesus explaining parables. Now, uh, let's start out with this. What is a parable? A parable is a, a short story or a metaphor. It's fictional. Jesus made these up. And, and he uses them to teach because they're, they're easy to understand. Well, sometimes we'll see that, but they're memorable. 
The thing about a parable, though, is they make big points, not little points. Like, you can't press the analogy on every little detail. So, for example, what are the rocks? What do the rocks represent? Didn't say. We don't know. Can't press it at that level. All we know is that you couldn't draw nutrients, and so the plant withers. Right? Or what about, what is the path? Hey, you know that path? What's that path lead to? Doesn't say. Don't press it for that. All we know is that it's hardened and it doesn't receive the word. Well, why did he say 100-fold? Why not 1,000-fold? I bet you the number 100 is special and we get into numerology and all kinds of junk like that. Don't press it for that. All it is is that it's fruitful. That's the point. Parables make big points, not little points. So Jesus uses them to teach. Why does he teach in parables? Here's the answer. Jesus teaches in parables to reveal truth and conceal truth with the same exact story. He is in the process of revealing truth to the teachable and concealing truth from the unteachable with one story. Let's talk about revealing. So these parables are easy to understand and remember. They're very good if you have ears to hear. Have you ever said to somebody, why, why won't you listen to me? Ladies, right? <clears throat> I get it. Why won't you listen to me? Is it that your husband doesn't have ears? No, he's got ears. But he doesn't have ears to hear, right? That's the issue. It's a heart issue. Remember, it's a matter of the heart. And when it comes to hearing the word of God, do you have ears to hear? And this is what that equation looks like. That if you have hunger plus humility, that equals growth. You've got to have hunger, which is desire for God. I need God. I need his word. I want his word. And humility that I would be teachable and submitted to his word. And when you have both of those, it leads to growth. If you have those, you have ears to hear, and parables are so wonderfully revealing. They reveal truth. However, some are unteachable. Remember, Jesus has all these crowds, and Jesus knows that not all of them are good soil, and he does not want to waste his time arguing. And so he'll, he'll use these to conceal truth. Shannon and I understood what this is like at, um, uh, when our kids became teenagers. Our, our parenting philosophy had to shift a little bit. Both Shannon and I are by nature teachers. This is what we do. We love it, right? And so we raised our kids that way. We love teaching and instructing and helping them out. So when a little kid would say, why this? We wouldn't say, because I told you so. We'd never say that. We'd always explain. Kid would gain understanding. It was a beautiful thing. It was awesome. Until they became teenagers. And then, then what we found ourselves stuck in this pattern where, uh, like, for 10 times, we've already explained to the boy why he can't leave his shoes two steps in the front door in the middle of the foyer. We've covered this 10 times. I've got diagrams, graphs, charts. I've got a lawyer with dip depositions. I've got expert witnesses. I've got my biblical case laid out. We've done this 10 times. Why are we doing this again? And our, our temptation in that moment is, you know what, we'll just explain it a different way. Listen, we explain it the 11th time, it doesn't move the needle at all. Because we're not dealing in that moment with a knowledge gap, we're dealing with a heart gap. Because of our parenting style, we would try. 
And we got so frustrated. And we came to a point where we said this. We will teach the teachable. We will command the stubborn. You, you laugh, but we really said it, didn't we? Like We told them, this is the new plan right here. This is what we got. We will command the stubborn. Listen, because when somebody is teachable, man, we love it. We'll spend all day explaining it and growing it and understanding it. But when someone's heart is stubborn, we're not going to move the needle at all. We just have to lay down the command, move the shoes. And Jesus is getting that, right? Jesus is not going to spend his time and his energy arguing with teenagers. Some of you are just writing that down, new parenting philosophy, right? I get, I get it. Like, that's, that's the gold right there. Look, it took us forever to get to this. I feel like I'm just now becoming a good parent, and my kids are gone. <laughs> Dang it. Oh, well. Oh, well. So maybe that blesses you. And listen, Jesus, what he's doing is he is revealing and concealing with the same parable at the same moment. And he di- gives us a word picture just for that. He, remember, he went towards lamp and light, the issue of light. Light is great. Light reveals that which you could not otherwise see or understand. I use a flashlight every night. Just before we go to bed, I let my my dog Taco outside to go do her business so she doesn't wake us during the night. And I get a flashlight because, look, in our neighborhood, we've got skunks. Taco's been sprayed twice already. Hate it. It's such a pain in the butt. So it's worth it to me to take a few seconds, grab the flashlight, and I sweep the backyard. Yep, clear. Go, Taco. I come back in, and inevitably, there's one of my family members in the, uh, in the family room, and I shine the light right in their face, because I'm a jerk. <laughs> and that's, that's the way I roll. Every one of my staff members is like, yep, that, that sounds about right. So, uh, so I do that. Now, what my family, oh, come on, stop, turn it off, right? Turn it off. And they don't like the light shining in their face. Go figure. You see, there can be two responses to light. One is that light is awesome and it's helpful and thank you. The other response to the light is, oh no, stop it, turn it off. Have you ever walked in on somebody who's sleeping and and turned the light on? What do they say? They groan and then, oh, turn it off. Turn it off. I don't want the light right then. Some love the light because it reveals. Some are like cockroaches. Right? right? They scurry for the baseboards. They love the darkness. They don't want the light revealing. They want to stay in darkness. I think I subtly just called my family cockroaches. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably going to have to repent of that later. So, but there it is. But listen, unlike me, Jesus is a gentleman. I'm a jerk. He's a gentleman. He does not shine the light where people don't want it. And if you want the light, he loves to reveal. He would love to help you understand more. Here's a parable. If you do not want the light, he will take it away. But with it goes all truth and understanding, and you will be in greater darkness. He will give you what you want. That's what he's doing. The Puritans had this way of saying it. They said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And so there is a warning that you take heed how you hear. Do not be cavalier with the word of God. It is either softening your heart and healing and bearing fruit in your life, or it is most likely hardening your heart and blinding you and dulling your spiritual senses. You are either moving toward the light or away from it. You're probably not standing still. So what do, what do we do with this? What's this mean for us? The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, both for the parable he told, but also for parables. It's all about the heart. And so I want to encourage you to do four things with this. And here's the first one. I want you to read and study your Bible. Duh. 
But listen, you take that for granted way too much. Most of you have Bibles all over your house. You have more Bibles than you can ever read, will ever read. Me, I've got tons. I don't even touch them anymore. My Bibles are on my laptop, on my iPad, and on my phone. We have Bibles all over the place. And you think that's normal. Having a Bible in your language that you can read at will, you think that, no, that is abnormal. That is a modern development in history. I'm going to give you some church history right now, some Reformation history that you got to know. There was a time in church history, what, what we call today the Roman Catholic Church, was just called the church. And when you went to church, you know what you didn't get? You didn't get a sermon. What we're doing right now did not happen. You think this is just, always no. There was no teaching from the Word of God. And even worse, what the priests did is they put the Word of God in Latin. Okay, not in the original Hebrew and Greek to preserve it in the original languages. No, no, no. They translated it into a dead language that nobody knew except the priests. That gave them control. Imagine the scenario. I'm the only one in this room that is able to read the Word of God. I can tell you it says whatever I want to say. I got control over your spirituality. You can't question me. Kept it in Latin. And even still, people didn't know the Word of God. The idea of people having the Word of God and knowing the Word of God, nobody knew it. Not only in the congregation, even the priests didn't know it. It's just history. Look it up if you don't believe me. The priests didn't even know the Word of God themselves. And so the reformers came along, and what they, their heart was, they wanted to translate the Word of God into the common language of the people. So if you were an Englishman, they wanted to translate it into English for you so that you could read it. So this is what William Tyndale, an Englishman, wanted to do. And, and he had to do it in secret. And then he was being raided at times. Priests and bishops were confiscating these copies and destroying them because the last thing the priests and bishops wanted was for Englishmen to be able to read the Bible in English. So he had to smuggle it in to England. Eventually he was caught. He was captured. And when he was captured, he, he said to a priest this. He said, if God spares my life ere many years pass, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. That's the heart. That even a common person knows the word of God and studies and reads the word of God in their own language. And so you know what they did to Tyndale? Burn him. Not just his copies. They burnt him. They did it to all kinds of reformers all the time. Listen, men and women died so that you could have the Bible in your own language. And you think that's normal. You think that's expendable. That's crazy. We have to be hungry for the Word of God. We have to devour the Word of God. And if you're saying, Pastor Rick, I don't know how to do that, we got resources on our website. If you're not ready to run, you're not even ready to walk, you can only crawl, we got resources on our website to help you do that. So that you can read and study your Bibles. People died so you could. And so when you read it, secondly, what I want you to do is I want you to go hungry to the Word of God. I want there to be a burning hunger within you to know more about God. Listen, I want, I want it to be like this. Like you're going to your doctor. Let's say your doctor has just diagnosed you with diabetes. And you're in the doctor's office, and she is explaining to you how you administer insulin to yourself. You understand your life depends upon that, right? You better get it right. Your life depends on... How do you listen to the doctor in that moment? That's how I want you to listen to the Word of God. Your life depends on it. You go, hungry, I just desperately need this. And then third, you go, humble, teachable, 
listen, does the Word of God correct you or do you correct it? Which is it? Like when you come across something in the Word that you don't like or your culture doesn't like or that seems hard or difficult, do you start the process of explaining it away, of justifying it away, of denying it? Do you Google for a liberal scholar that is going to explain to you why you can ignore that part of the Word? So you correct the Word. Or does the Word correct you? And you, you repent and you confess and you make plans and adjustments and you share it with other brothers and sisters that can keep you accountable. Do you correct the Word or does the Word correct you? Do you have ears to hear? It has to do with your heart. It has to do with humility. Or are you just being a stubborn teenager? Jesus is not going to waste his time trying to convince you. And then fourth, what I want you to do is to do the work of a sermon. I want you to work at sermons. (laughs) Wait, isn't that my job? Am I going to let you preach? No, stay out of my pulpit. It's his pulpit too. Stay out. Here's what I mean. The work of a sermon is more yours than mine. Pastor Jared and myself, we bust our tails to prepare for these times, but you have more work to do than we do every Sunday. Even now, you are thinking whether you like the temperature in this room. You're looking at the guy in front of you wondering how he decided on that haircut, right? And, and, and you're thinking about lunch, right? You're thinking about, did I like that donut? Do I like the chair that I'm in? And you're thinking about lunch, And you're also thinking about the argument you had with your spouse on the way in here. You're thinking about what chores you might do when you get home. And you're thinking about lunch, right? Listen, I get that you're hungry, but I want you to be spiritually hungry. I want you to be humble and desire the word. I want you to do the work of a sermon. Listen, George Whitfield put it this way. This is brilliant. He said, to enter his house merely to have our ears entertained and not our hearts reformed must certainly be highly displeasing to the Most High God as well as unprofitable to ourselves. You got to work at sermons. So there's four things that, that we can do. And let me tell you why. Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And I love you guys. I want the best for you. Jesus loves you far far more than I do. He wants the best for you. I want you growing and mature and fruitful. I want you to be good soil. I want you to have life. And I want you to remember Jesus was speaking. Jesus is speaking. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word does not change. But the question is, what will your heart be like? Will you have ears plus heart? Ears to hear so that he grows you and changes your life. And I want to pray for that right now. Father, we desperately need you to speak into our lives. Lord, and when you do, and you do, and yet we got to be honest, Lord, sometimes we are rebellious and we're hardened and we're so shallow and we're just in for the good times and not the hard times and then there's the thorns and... Oh, Father God, I know that there are a mix of soils in here right now. And even in my own heart, I think it's good soil, but I know I've got to continually weed out the the thorns and take out the rocks to keep growing. And so, Father, we repent right now of our hardness of heart. We want to have good hearts as we engage with your word and be excited about the gift of your word in our lives. And then we want to lay down our religion. We want to get rid of that and just thrive in a relationship with you. And for that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.